Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast for water treaters, by water treaters, where we're scaling up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Hi, everybody. Trace Blackmore here, the host of Scaling Up. And folks, I am so excited today because after dozens of emails from the Scaling Up Nation, he's finally here. Yes, Mark Lewis, CWT, is my lab partner today. Now, given those dozens of emails were from Mark Lewis, but nevertheless, Mark Lewis is on the show today. Folks, Mark and I have been friends for years. And if you're a listener of the show, you know we met at an AWT convention. And if it weren't for the AWT, we would have never met each other. And since that first time we met, in Palm Springs, I think it was 2005 or some, whenever we went to Palm Springs, Mark and I have been the best of friends. We've been the type of friends that can critique each other and make each other want to be better. On today's show, we're going to learn about Mark, his path to becoming a water treater, and a bunch of things that Mark did for AWT, and some of his views on water treatment. So folks, I hope you enjoy my interview with Mark Lewis, CWT. Well, I know everybody out in the Scaling Up Nation is thinking it's about time because my lab partner today is none other than Mark Lewis. How are you, Mark? Well, Trace, I'm doing very well. And you know, getting on this show is harder than selling some pieces of water treatment business. So I am thrilled to be here today. Well, Mark, it is a delight to finally have you on the show. Uh, I want to say that you are the second most mentioned person on Scaling Up other than myself. Is that a fact? That Other than yourself, it is a fact. And uh, my tally has Angela Pike mentioned more than you. Uh, and that's even counting when you mention yourself on the show. So the so I'm the third most mentioned person on the show, first time on the show. Long-term listener, first-time caller, I guess I should say. I think we just turned into Larry King or something. What just happened? Rush Limbaugh. Oh, sorry. Okay. Well, moving on from that, uh, Mark, I, I know I've spoken about you on the show, but there are still some listeners out there that may not know who you are. So tell us a little bit about Mark Lewis. Mark Lewis... Uh, Reaches a milestone of 50 years old this year. So uh, kind of exciting. But uh, with that in mind, my water treatment career spans almost 30 years. Uh, I started in 1988 down in Jacksonville, Florida. By accident, Kathy and I, my wife Kathy, were visiting some friends that she babysat for when, in high school. And Steve Robinson offered me a job just by meeting. And they needed a trainee in the field. And I said, you know, guys... I don't know anything about water treatment. He said, uh, that's fine. I'll teach you. So from there, six weeks later, we pack up and we move to Jacksonville, Florida. And that starts my career. From there, most of my knowledge has been through learning from working with others, being given books to read and uh, figuring it out almost by myself. So after 30 years, I, I guess we've learned a little and I'm just here to share it with others. I bet the majority of water treaters out there stumbled on water treatment, much like yourself. I don't think anybody's out there that actually goes looking for a career in water treatment. Maybe one or two. Only, only sons and daughters of other water treaters know about the water treatment field. 
So there you have it. And, and my father, of course, is the one that dragged me into this industry. Well, Mark, you and I met because we both served with the Association of Water Technologies. Yes. And I know we talk a lot about the Association of Water Technologies on this show. How did you get involved with AWT? I wanted to be a taker. Working for a small water treatment company early in my career, I said, I should join the education committee to be able to receive what they're preparing to present to the AWT and kind of bootleg that information. And and what I learned was that in order to receive, you got to give. And so by participating, uh, I actually learned that I gained not only knowledge from our discussions, but also mentors, people that I could call at any time that would help me out, help me solve issues, problems give me things to think about and allow me to grow in the water treatment field. So what started out as a as a taking type thought process actually ended up more to a, a giving and receiving. I, I, I get back much more than I ever give, but I think that's the way the AWT works. Yeah, and I know we say that all the time. And if you're not involved, you really don't get that. You have to get involved to see that you do get more than you give. And, and a lot of it is is just because the friendships that you 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 gain by participating, by showing that you're willing to to go the extra mile, and then you know those relationships just blossom, and you're only a phone call away. And so today, because of the things I've done, and and I think that they're, they're few. But I have just a plethora of of people that are available just by making a phone call. Yeah, and looking from outside in, I know people that are new to the organizations and they see people walking around, whether the convention halls or, or whatever AWT function it is, and they're with their friends, they think, hey, this is a very clicky group. But it's not. People have met people, they understand what they do, they understand the field of water treatment, and they become friends. So I think it's good for people that are just getting involved to realize that. And you and I have spoken at length that we've been trying to get people that are immersed in the Association of Water Technologies to try to get other people into their friend core group of friends. So it does seem less clicky to use that word. Yeah. And one of the things, you know, um, a couple of years ago, back in 2013, the Young Professionals Group started up, and and what was an idea in 2012 at Palm Springs actually turned into reality in 2013. I think we hosted some of the first social hours, and and so it gives our young people a place to go and form some relationships and form some bonds, and then those groups then can go and join a committee because it's it's very intimidating to go sit in a room with some of the 45, 50, 60-year veterans. Speak for yourself. Well, there's some old people in the AWT. And so, but there's a lot of experience. And so if we look at these people as as just brains full of knowledge, they're, they're, they're heads full of knowledge that, that are willing to share, and why not share it with me? So uh, go in and sit in some of these meetings. When we're at the convention and we have committee meetings, uh, join a committee. Sit down, see what the AWT is doing, see where it's going. I remember in uh, 1997, the convention was in Washington, D.C., and Chuck Bramvold, who was one of the founders of my, my, my first company that I worked for, he invited me to go into the long-range planning session, and it was on Saturday afternoon at the convention. And I sat in there and seen where and what the AWT was doing and where we were going. It's like, man, I need to be a part of this. 
And I thought I signed up for a committee, but I missed the 99 convention. Actually, that convention was in 1998. I missed the 99 convention, but in 2000, it was in Hawaii. And I said, you know, I signed up for this committee. I'm going to go in and sit down. And sure enough, my name was on the list. Somehow I just didn't get invited to the meeting. And so from there, uh, by participating in the calls, I was asked to do a little work, did that work, asked to do a little more work. And then next thing you know, I was asked to, to co-chair a committee and get it to where it needed to be next. So you do have to, to take that first step and, and put yourself in a position to do a little what was the first step that, that you took when you said, okay, I'm a member of this organization and now I want to get more, so I'm going to give a little bit, so I'm going to do what? The, the first thing was, was our company, we had Chuck Brambold as our AWT rep. He would go to the conferences. He, he, he did stuff for AWT. As, as members or as employees of the company, we just received what he brought in. And so my, my first exposure to the AWT was the, we all went down to Orlando in 1994 to take one of the first CWT exams. And if you were lucky enough to take that first exam, it was 350 questions. It was all broken down in segments. Each section was timed. You couldn't go ahead. You couldn't go behind to, to, to do things. And, and it was a nerve-wracking four hours, thanks to Brent Chettle. And, you know, he's up there at the front of the room looking at us, and, 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 and we're staring at him because who could write a, an examination like this? But uh, that year, you know, I thought I did pretty good on the exam. Got my results back. I was told, better luck next time, try again. And um, so I did. And in 97, we went back. The convention was actually in Atlanta at the Marriott Marquis downtown. Sat for the exam again, and uh, this time I was successful. And the funny thing about the exam in 98 and passing the exam was that my certificate number, and I know you mentioned this often, but my number is 98. But the employees of my current company, all we all have sequential numbers. I think there's a 97, 98, 99, 100, 101, and 102. And so it was just amazing that I passed the exam at the same time with this group of people, and we all submitted our applications in, in, you know, in, in very much the same order, I guess. And so all of our numbers, when you look at our plaques in the office, and I don't get in the office very much because I, re- I work remotely, but all of our plaques are there, and it's just everything's in order. So it's kind of neat. And that was in 97. And, and being a CWT, being a smart guy, you know. Is that what CWT means, smart guy? Absolutely. Any, anytime you have letters behind your name. And I don't care, you know, PhD, CWT, they're all the same. <laughs> you know, um, and, and these people that have multiple sets of letters behind their name, they spend a lot of money on education. Now, one set of, of letters is great. When you get multiple set of letters, you're just out of control. You know, you ought to pay more in taxes or something. But <laughs> Well, you heard it here, folks. So, But anyway, so uh, after receiving my CWT, I, I did uh, say I want to be a part. And like I said, it helped my company by, by receiving stuff that the AWT was working on. And so that's when in 2000, I, I went in and, and just became part of the committee and, and met Bruce Ketrick. And Bruce has become a dad. You know, all of us have our, our families, then we have our water treatment family. And so, so Trace, you're a brother. <laughs> uh, but, but Bruce is a dad. And he's just been amazing. Uh, and in, in the fundamental applications technical training class, 
We talk about finding a mentor. Bruce, Jay, Jay Farmery, Bill Pearson, Brent Chettle, all these guys were, were very inspirational in my, my early development. Uh, even though, you know, in, in 2000, I'm sitting with 12 years experience. You realize how much information you don't know or you realize how many gaps there are in what you do know. And so having these mentors allows you to fill in those gaps. And uh, I'm a very visual person. You can tell me all day long. I still don't get it. When I can paint a picture with my eyes, when I can see it, that's where I get it. That's why in the fundamental applications class, there's lots of videos. You know, we looked at that class and say, okay, I can read this all day. When I see it and I can visualize it, then I've got it. So that's why we do what we do in that class. So after joining the education committee, uh, I was asked to co-chair. Well, the edu- back then, certification education was one committee because of our bylaws. We take the bylaws change to separate them. So we had co-chairs, and, and Jim Lukanich was was education co-chair, and I was certification co-chair, and, and we had to work uh, we had to work hard. We had to get the, the program accredited. We had to get people to take the exam and move it forward to, to what it is today. And I think there's even been more steps and more processes that have been done to, to, to fully accreditate that program that, that I worked on in the early 2000s. And then from there, you know, I was asked to, to chair. I was asked to do what I did in certification on membership. And it's funny, Steve McCarthy called and said, Mark, I need you to chair another committee. I need you to do there what you did here. And I said, anything but regulatory or membership. And he said, well, I want you in membership. And um, You said, weren't you listening? You know, uh, he's, on the, he's on the left coast. Those folks don't listen to us very much. But, <laughs> but he asked. And, and I said, okay, I don't know what I'll do. I don't know what I'll do different. But uh, we'll, we'll do something. And I took over a membership committee, gathered some people. We put together some benefits for the AWT. We, we grew membership. We, we streamlined the process. All about the time that our management, our current management company, MSP, took over. We had a management change. And Angela, she was rude. She says I was rude. But, you know, she was very rude to me because I had work for her to do. And I told her, do this. And, and she would complain because of the, the way I asked her to do things. She said I told her and yelled at her and stuff. But but we got over that. We have a relationship today that, that's pretty good. And uh, she, of course, is an avid listener of the show, so she will be calling you about this. She loves me, you know. She loves me on the inside. <laughs> she has to put up a front on the outside. But on the inside, she loves me, and she couldn't survive a, a technical training session or a convention without me. So I'll say that. So from membership committee chairperson, several years, much like our our current AWT president, I was on the ballot three times for the board of directors. And the first two years were were back to back that I was unsuccessful. And I realized that I probably wasn't ready. I needed to settle down a little bit, learn some more about the organization. And so even though initially I considered it a failure, later on, I realized that it was really the right thing. I wasn't ready to, to serve in a capacity as a board member. But in 2007, I was elected. So that's 2008, started my term. And I really enjoyed the time I served on the board. And since then, after coming off the board, I uh, get to work with you now on the, in the fundamental applications class as a teacher. And uh, we, we just have a ball. We love to share what we know. And as much as it is teaching the facts, 
It's more about telling you why these things happen. And the only restriction is because we're fundamental in applications class. We can't go too deep. But what we want to do is we want to, we want to set the stage to create a desire in you to fill in the gaps. Mark, let's back up a second and talk about the fundamentals and application class and how it relates to the technical training class versus years ago when it was service tech training and the technical training class. Well, let's back up even a little further. All right. Okay. Beep, so, beep, beep. Okay. So let's, let's talk about what the original way that the AWT did this. Early on, the AWT used to have two annual conventions a year. One was business-related, one was education. And so the whole training program was built around business sections on one, and normally I think that was in the fall, and in the spring we had educational sessions. And so one was on the East Coast, one was on the West Coast. And, and, and the bad part about that was if you wanted to send somebody, it had to be the right time of the year to get the right information that you wanted to go to. So 1998, Eight was the first year that they said, okay, we're, we're going to one convention. And some of that was because of the cost of, of a vendors and everything else to get to both of them. And which one do you miss? Which one's more important? Well, they're all important. So we went to actually the first year we had four regional training sessions. And, and the focus of the AWT was we're going to put one in the southeast, northeast, northwest, southwest. And I think that happened one or two years. And then they said, you know, this is a lot of work. We, we really need to control our costs or either our, our registration fees are going to go through the roof. And we said we're going to have two. We're going to have one on the east coast, one on the west coast. In 2001, I remember going out to San Diego as a reviewer. And my job was to sit through and take notes. I wasn't there to learn. I was there to listen and critique and figure out what we needed to do different. Now, I do want to say this to the Scaling Up Nation. The word critique, a lot of people says, oh, that's bringing me down. That's insulting me, etc." But critique there is to point out what you're doing so you can be better. So you can receive criticism as negative. But you should receive criticism as positive. So, so my job there was, was as, a, as a critic, and, and I sat there and, and gave some advice. And, and one of the things that we were learning was that people are attending technical training, and we're losing people early on. And so a couple of years later, it was determined, okay, what we need is we need to bring all the newer people, the younger people, and when I say younger, younger in the field, the less experienced we need to bring them in, set them over in this other classroom and talk about the basics. And then second half of the first day, we'd merge everybody together and have one session. And then and that went along for, for a while. And then what we realized was that, you know, as, as bad as we, we hate it, we need to, to separate this again. And we need to have those folks who want to expand on their career and, and excel up to the, the Certified Water Technologist Program have a class that kind of teaches all the principles and the knowledge that's around that. But we also need to cover those people who are, are younger in their careers and talk more about the basics. And so in 2012, I think, to maybe 2011, we created the Service Technician Program. Those folks who are out there managing water treatment programs but they don't design the program. They're kind of always working under the supervision of someone else. And so that's where the service technician program came from. And, and as we evolved to the next level, we said, you know, what we have to do is we have to take our programs and really draw a line down the middle. And we've got to let 
our service technician program cover A to E or F. And then we let our technical training program go, you know, go from F to Z. Because what happens is you got all this knowledge and what started out as two and a half days now has been three days. Now is going from eight o'clock in the morning till six o'clock at night. You just can't jam any more stuff into it. So if we can create the fundamentals and applications, okay, that's what we do and why we do it. If we can create this program and take some stress off of the technical training program, they can cover more of the stuff they need to cover to get the guys prepared to do what they need to do. So that's what we did. We sat down, we, we had an outline, and the hardest thing that I know that you and I went through when we were trying to de- develop this course, stop, that's too advanced. How do we bring them up so far and then stop? And, and so what we've done is, is we did. There was a lot of criticism there. We critiqued each other quite oh, a bit. And it was, I've got to tell them this. I can't stop it there. But, but what we were able to do is, is get to a point where we could fully explain something. And then we drew the line that said, okay, the rest of that's covered next door. And, and we use the term next door because most of our training programs is. It's we're on one side and either across the hall or, or down the hall is the next door. It's, it's where they're teaching the more advanced course. But you mentioned this on an earlier show. Both courses are very important because if, if you start off and you know some stuff and you start off in the technical training class, you may miss some of the things that they're building on. So in order to get that firm foundation, you do need to come through the fundamentals and applications class to create a, a solid foundation in which everything else is built upon. And I think we do a great job there. We ask for criticism every time. We had some people that, that reviewed our programs, gave us feedback. And, and I think the first time out, we were probably 75% where we thought we would have been. But I, I know that we have totally changed programs because after listening to each other, and one of the nice things is, is I sit through every session. I don't go in and just teach the classes that I teach. I sit through the whole thing. And, and other than the times when you're teaching next door, you do the same thing. We're sitting in the room, we're listening, and it's more, it's important that it flows, that there's no gaps in what we do, because like I said, this is the foundation. We're forming up uh, the foundation in which to build your water treatment knowledge on. And one of the things we talk about in our wrap-up is what do you do next, okay? We've spent the last three days going over information, going over knowledge, putting pieces of the puzzle together, and it's almost like we put together a 100-piece puzzle, but water treatment is a 1,000-piece puzzle. So that's where it's important that you learn how to do this well, then you learn how to put the put together a 500-piece puzzle, and then you, you, you learn to put that 1,000-piece puzzle together. And you constantly are building upon what you've learned prior to. If water softeners are, are 10 sessions, we may cover three in our class. Next door, they may pick up on two more, but there's still five sessions we haven't covered. And that's the interesting thing about the water treatment field. You can always dig a little deeper. You can always go into this chapter that no one else has done. And so I think the most important thing that you can do is always ask yourself, how does this work? Why does this work? Is there anything else to know about this? And uh, so I think that's that's the whole premise around the, the training sessions is to fill in those gaps as much as possible. But the hard part is the things that, that I don't see as gaps, you may. 
So feedback is always very important. We always hand out, send out surveys. You guys got to fill them out. If you don't send back your feedback, your survey, and and I I don't care if the chicken was dry or the fish was cold, (laughs) um, that's just going to happen. You know, just it it is going to happen. And we care and we try to take care of those things. But what's really important is, is as much as you attend the training to be a better water treater, we present the training to make everyone better water treaters. And so what has to happen is, is we've got to tweak our programs and weed out the weak points. If we've got weak points in our training, if we need to firm up part of our training, we only know that because you've told us. I've been in water treatment for 30 years now. Trace? A, a while. A while. A while. You know, all your life. And so how many of those years you count as actual water treatment? I don't know, but a good number of years. And so there's a lot of things we take for granted. I'll tell this story. You know, when I first started in water treatment, we were given a test kit and and a couple of rule of thumbs. Conductivity set point of these towers in this city is boom. And we never knew why. Okay. And as we as we aged and, and moved up and, and got a little smarter, we were learning, okay, well, you're gonna get into problem areas if you're Hardness is above this number in your alkalinity. If you add those two numbers together, they're greater than a thousand. You're going to scale the system. So with that in mind, okay, connectivity set point. Okay, that is good. Okay, now my check and balance is my total hardness plus my alkalinity under under a thousand. I am good. This program is good. And the part that it didn't take into account was my heat load, my pH. You know, and, and that's just on calcium carbonate. You still had systems that had other issues. And so, you know, one of the things you like to ask, Mark, what's your, and I only said Mark there because I'm trying to get Mark mentioned as much as I can. So I get to raise my number of times. Mentioned. So you can take the lead. So I can take the lead. Uh, so Mark, what's, what's your epic failure in water treatment? Um, so you're now asking the questions. This is what's happening right uh, now. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask those things because, see, I'm prepared for the question. If you ask them, then I'm not prepared and I may stumble. But if I ask them, then, then I'm good to go. So, Mark, what's your epic failure? And, and I would say that probably my epic failure was, was recommending something that the customer wasn't prepared to handle. And uh, the example of the case I'm going to give is, is I had a steam plant out in the county where the county came in and dug wells and supplied water. And, and the problem was the silica was very high. So low hardness, low alkalinity, the, my, my biggest limiting factor was silica. So I said, okay, well, we need, we need a demineralizer on the system so that we can cycle this thing up, save water, save fuel, because, you know, we, we've got to deal with all of our water that comes in. We'll deal with our water that goes out. So let's conserve and be good stewards of our fuel and our environment. What I didn't understand or didn't fully take into account was the people at the plant weren't prepared to monitor the demineralizer system. And so when they started having issues with it, they um, they just bypass it. <laughs> you know, they wouldn't go in and figure out what was going on. And then eventually they allowed the acid to run out during regeneration and the unit blew up. Later, we were told that the reason it blew up, it overpressurized because it ran out of acid. And something about the way the, the regeneration cycle works, it, I never seen a fiberglass tank split until then. So after that, we went in and rebuilt that unit. 
got it working again. They still struggled with it. And we eventually replaced that unit with a water softener. And even though they ran lower cycles and things like that, we had a much better program after that. So biggest failure. The probably the, the point where I'm most proud was our, we had a company or an account where uh, I was probably the third or fourth rep on this account, and it was had an air compressor. And so the, the cooling tower served a small chiller and an, and an air compressor, and the air compressor needed to be cleaned out. The heat exchanger needed to be cleaned out about every six months, and so they always had problems. And so after taking some of the information that I've learned and LSIs and, and some calcium phosphate indexes, what I learned was we're dealing with a hundred and you know our program's based upon one hundred and twenty five degrees, and what we're actually ending up with is about one hundred and eighty five degrees and so our lSI when you calculate your your calcium phosphate index, we were exceeding all 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 stability indexes solubility indexes, and we should be scaling so we we made an adjustment to the program we made an adjustment to the set point. And uh, they went for about three years without no problems with that heat exchanger. So with that being the case, you know, I feel like that's probably one of my greatest accomplishments was walking in after someone else and solving a, a problem that should have been pretty simple. But we do forget about some of these these systems that are attached to the cooling tower. And so now, you know, it's one of those things. What's my worst case? I look at my worst case scenario. Where's my problem? Where's my hot spot? Where's my flow issue? And I treat for the worst case. One of my favorite things that you do in the fundamentals and application classes is you give everybody the water analysis for a particular plant. And then you ask them, where do they take the temperature from? Talk a little bit about that. That's actually my tricks of the trade. And we, we give some, some makeup water. We give some cycled up water. I uh, use a, a laser temperature gun, and I shoot the, the cooling tower supply, the cooling tower return, the exiting of the heat exchanger from the, the, the heat exchanger where the water leaves and where the water comes in. And I say, which temperature do you use in this in, in your LSI calculation? And, and whether you use LSI, RSI, doesn't matter. It's going to get the same results. So with that being the case, I... I'm an LSI guy. Trace is an RSI guy. It's just who we are. Well, it's what we got brought up with. Absolutely. And, and, and they're both going to tell you basically the same information. So, But the numbers range from 1.5 to 2.8 just by using temperature. So of the five components of scale and, and calcium carbonate, uh, calcium, alkalinity, temperature, dissolved solids, and pH, you know, the only one that changed was temperature. But yet, 1.5 to 2.8, huge, huge difference. Mark, if I were to ask you the question, what the number one issue you see with new water treaters, you would probably answer it just the way you did, that people aren't taking temperatures at the right spot. So I'm going to take that answer away from you. So folks out there, make sure you understand your hottest, your most stressed area, because that's where you're going to have issues. But other than that, Mark, what is the number one thing you see new water treaters do that they just don't quite understand or something they can do a little bit better? Probably the biggest thing, and it's not just with new water treaters, is it's, it's well, if Jim told me to do this, do it this way, then that's the way I'm doing it. They don't question themselves. They don't question the program that's in place. And that's everything from set points 
to buy-side additions, to go back to verification. If you've got a system that's set up to feed a pint of buy-side two times a week, and you come back in a month, you know, and you've only used a half a gallon of product, you say, well, is that right? Yes or no? Well, it should feed a quart a week, and it's only feeding a half a gallon. A quart, that's a gallon a week. And, and so, well, the pump's set right. When I do the calculation, the pump is right. You know, it should, it should feed for 15 minutes at this pump setting. I should feed my pint. And so the, you assume everything else is going right. But a lot of times we take our calculation sheet, we use that to set up our program, and then we set it aside. We never look back at it. And so trust but verify. We trust our settings, but then we need to verify what we're, what we're uh, actually doing. And it's the same thing whether you, if you take water meter readings, uh, and you should when, when available, don't just take a water meter reading and do nothing with it. Go ahead and, and determine, okay, what's my gallons per day? And that's total makeup. Okay, well, most of our inhibitor feed is based upon, you can either do it in total makeup and divided by cycles, or you can do your blowdown and, you know, depend on how your programs are set up and say, okay, if I'm, if I'm using 10,000 gallons a day and I'm running three cycles and I should be using 3,000 gallons a day blowdown, then, okay, I should be using three pounds of product a day times 30 is 90. Are you using, you know, nine, 10 gallons a month? You got to know those things. You got to put those those facts together because your tests tell you one thing, your machine tells you something else, but then your your data is going to tell you another thing. So my water analysis are good. I've logged my machine. My machine looks good. And I've verified my inventory because with one mistake, one upset, your machine may not tell you anything's wrong, but several upsets then your machine tells you something wrong, then you have a problem that may not be easily corrected. So that's why I say, you know, make sure your numbers look good, make sure your machine looks good, and then make sure you're, you're, you've fed the products that you think you should feed. Great answer. And for those that are looking for more information to be able to think through the process just like you did, the technical training that you were just talking about is a great way to start with that. One of the things we do in, in fundamental applications, like I said earlier, we use a lot of videos. And and I've taken I've taken my camera and I've shot videos of of what the chiller face plate looks like, what numbers you can see there, and where to get those numbers from, and then how do we use those numbers to verify something's going on. I had a chiller that was showing a saturation temperature. And that's the refrigerant temperature coming out of the condenser barrel going back to the the economizers in a, in a chiller, and and it was saying that it was 97 degrees, okay, and can't be, you know, when you stick a gun on, it's 85. So there was a sensor wrong, and believe it or not, the service company came in and, and descaled this machine, thinking that the machine wasn't transferring the heat. And they didn't need to descale this machine; they needed to change a sensor. And so, well, when in doubt, blame the water treater. That's gotta, normally how that goes. You, you know, and, and that's easy. Blame the water treater. But you know, when you can come in and say you got a problem with your, you don't get good data, and so you got to go back. And, and the poor rascal that was logging this chiller, he's logging you know in and out at water temperatures, and then he's logging this other number, and he doesn't know what they mean. And so. There again, fundamental applications. We talk about all those numbers. What? Why do we log that number? What do we see it? You know, what, what, what are we looking for? 
And even though numbers are going to change from this machine to that machine, from this refrigerant to that refrigerant, you get a pretty good understanding of where those numbers should be, or at least when you're logging those numbers, if you've got any history that you can compare. Back when we used to do paper reports, you know, it was it was you you carried a folder into every account, and your last service report was on the left hand side, and you're writing the the report on the right hand side, and you could look back to see where your numbers were, and it was a good indication of of where your numbers have normally been. And so now you're checking where your numbers are today. Today, a lot of people do computer-generated reports. Now, some people, they, they have those numbers right with them. Some programs don't show those, you know, where your numbers were in the past. But part of your water treatment reporting should always be review where you were, now you review where you are. Is anything out of whack? Because looking at today's report, okay, this isn't too bad. But when you go back and compare it to where you were in the past, are you developing a problem? And you only know that by comparing your data. That's a great point. Mark, you talk about chillers and you do a you do a fantastic job in the fundamentals and application class with that. In fact, I believe I'm on record on this show calling you a chiller whisperer. Yes, I've heard. It is the my absolute favorite thing that you do. You understand how the chiller works, what the issues are, how you can find out there's an issue before it becomes a major issue. If there is one reason to for somebody to sit in the fundamentals and application class, it is to find out more about chillers. You just do a phenomenal job with that. Well, I'll tell you, that, that all came from my former company, Premier Water Energy Technology. You know, I worked for Tom Bramfold for 17 years, and, and one of the things he did was brought in training, and we all attended a training about chillers and how they work and, and what's going on. And they used to have a workbook that you could get and, and go through and fill out the workbook. And, and a lot of my pictures that are in my training came from, from that workbook and, and such. And, and it just it, it paints that picture. You know, when you're talking about liquid refrigerant sitting in an evaporator barrel and you don't normally think about refrigerant boiling at 45 or 50 degrees, but, but it, it does. OK. And then you got to take that to where you can reject 50 degree heat outside where it's 100 degrees. And so that why question, why, how does this work, is what inspired me to go through and dig deeper and deeper and deeper. So it's, it's those kind of questions that, te- that allow you to learn a little bit more. It allows you to teach yourself or allows you to ask that question. So, you know, you take that, that refrigerant, how do you take it from 50 degrees to 100 degrees? Because your condenser water temperature is 85 to 95 degrees. And so we got to take, we're making 42 or 45 degree water using 85, 95 degree air. So our water that's coming from the tower. And then, you know, then, then the other question is, well, how do you cool and make water that's 85 degrees when it's 102 degrees outside? Now, now, Mark Vermeula may not understand this up in Edmonton, Canada, but Trace and I, we're down here in Georgia and the Carolinas, and we get 100, 102, 103 degrees, and, and it's hot. So then you understand how evaporation works and why water evaporates. You know, for years, I thought that fan was to cool the water. But how does 102 degree air cool water make it 82 degrees, 85 degrees? And so when you understand those principles, you know, because I've got a marketing degree. I don't have a chemical degree. I don't have a mechanical degree. You answer those questions and you say, okay, now I understand that. 
And so we've taken all those principles and we put them in this class and, and that's how people learn. And we show, you know, we, we paint that picture so that everyone can understand it. Mark, I get people that ask me all the time or, or they just make the statement, you know, I'm a CWT or I'm on the CWT track, so I don't need to go to the fundamentals and applications class. But in the technical side, we're not talking about stuff like that. There is so much about the chillers, the hands-on. I can't think of a better troubleshooting presentation and hands-on demonstration that we have with the controllers. We have three controller manufacturers that come in. Tom Tenney, friend of the show, he was on the show. He's actually showing you how to put a multimeter across a probe and how you can tell all these different things that are going on there. You're not getting that over in the technical training class. So they truly do build. Well, there's a lot of people with a lot of education that are stupid. I don't know where you're going with this. Well, what I'm saying is, is just because you have education don't mean you have common sense or you don't have the knowledge. You have the book knowledge, but do you have the practical knowledge? Have you been exposed to it? Have you been exposed to it? Has someone explained to you what's going on here? And, and I think that's really you know it's a lot of what we were, we were looking at uh, because as young water treaters, there's no way we can teach what you need to know in three days. Sure. There's no way that you, if you come to the fundamentals and applications and you come to the technical training class in the same year, go to West Coast, go to East Coast, back to back, there's no way you know everything you need to know. So what we have to do is we have to expose you and create a drive in your mind that, that allows you to go back and do some reading on your own, to, to, to send scaling up some questions so that they can answer them on the air. Or, you know, get that mentor that we talk about and, and have some time with that mentor. One of the things we talk about is, is when you get back from training, put on a little training session for your, for your company. So take a topic that, that you learned while you were there. Because, you know, when you hear something, you retain so much of it. Then when you read something, you retain a little bit more. And then when you actually say something, you know, you know even more about that topic. So, so learn something, enhance your knowledge, and then present it. Teach somebody else. Because all of us are in the shoes that you are today. We've been there. And so with that in mind, we're, uh, we all need to learn. A couple of years ago, I had a business owner, an AWT member, call me up. I'm not going to say which one. Uh, when we were going to Vegas for technical training. And he said, quite frankly, he did not trust his people to remain in the seats at technical training. He thought that they were going to be out on the strip somewhere. And uh, he wanted me to take in attendance every single day to make sure that they were there. And I didn't think that was the right way to handle that. So I gave him the advice of exactly what you said. Make them responsible for the information that you're sending them to go receive let them know as soon as they come back, they're going to be teaching the entire organization about three topics that they learned. Well, those folks were in the seats every single day. And then later I heard exactly what you said, that what they decided to teach on, they knew that stuff better than anything else that was talked about during that technical training. That just explains exactly what, you know, what we're trying to do. We're trying to, to teach something and then... Uh, require you to go learn a little bit more about that information that we teach so that you can become an expert on the topic. 
Well, Mark, we can definitely spend the entire show talking about technical training and fundamentals and applications, and it would be a great show if we did, but I know the audience wants to learn more about you. So I'm going to put some information on technical training and fundamentals and applications on my show notes page. Folks out there, if you want to link directly to the registration page, it will be scalinguph2o.com forward slash TT 2018. And like I said, we could talk about this all day, but I want the audience to get to know Mark Lewis. So if I can ask you, what is your funniest water treatment story? Funniest water treatment story? Probably... It's not really water treatment, but it's, it's, I guess it is water treatment. We were, we used to do Monday morning trainings and Chuck Bramble was stand, sitting next to me and, and, and it was my job to teach, you know, and, and I don't know why they made me do it, but Chuck got up and, and if you know Chuck Bramble, he got up in his huffy puffy voice and he said something and he was, as he stood up and I'm sitting in a chair, I reached over and I grabbed his pants right by his hips and I shook him trying to get his attention and his pants ripped down the side <laughs> and, and oh what's going what, what just happened and so but to see chuck would would rip pants on you know come to work and, and have to go home and change clothes it was it didn't sound funny then but you had to be there because tom his his son and, and everyone else couldn't believe that that somebody had done something to chuck like that actually all of my times i worked with chuck are pretty funny when i started in 19 19- 88, you know, one of the things we did was when you did something bad, you had to ride with Chuck. And uh, so this was, I guess this was 1990. And, and I had to ride with Chuck. And it was December, right before Christmas. And Chuck was driving a 1979 Mercedes Benz. And so we always got on to him. You're driving a car that's three decades old. It's built in the 70s and we're in the 90s. And we're heading up to to Brunswick, Georgia, and it was December, and, and you know, we had a cold spell. It was probably in the, the low 20s. Now, now, being from Florida, the 20s are cold. If I have to put on a jacket, it's cold. And we didn't get 20 miles up the, up the interstate, and Chuck's heater stopped. And we spent the next three days begging for heat any way we could get it except spooning we didn't go there now we we but we were we were wearing our jackets in the car we were rubbing and, and i was complaining and when we get back i guess i'd complain to my wife so much we got back the day of our christmas party and my wife went up to chuck bramble and said chuck mark will never ride with you again <laughs> so it was uh it was kind of funny i guess well, Mark, I'm not sure if we mentioned this earlier to the Scaling Up Nation, but Chuck was the founder, the first president of the Association of Water Technologies. He, he was, and, and that could probably be a story on its own. You know, lucky for me, I mean, I worked with Chuck, and so I heard a lot of stories, and I was able to ask him a lot of questions. So there, there's probably a time that goes back that if, if there was ever a historian of the AWT, I could probably tell you a lot. Now I know there's there's some people that's been there since our uh, since our beginnings that could probably fill in some little more details. But you know, for something that started in 1985 as a thought because of a problem, you know, there's and, and it started out because of of insurance. And when you've got seven or eight guys meeting at a, a table at the back of CTI trying to figure out how we're going to survive, how our company is going to survive, and bringing all the right people together. And I think that's one of the things that those original founders did. They brought the right people together with the right skill sets. Now, none of them 
had all the skill sets, but each individual brought something to the table that when they all got put together, it was quite amazing. So when you look at the vision that they had in 1985 and 1986, and then finally in 1987 formed the AWT, it's really amazing to see what those guys went through uh, to build the AWT to what it is today. Yeah, and, and Chuck passed away a, a couple of years ago. He, he did. The Brambles are, are, are special people to me because and I worked with them for 17 years. And when we moved away, we moved from Georgia down to Florida, did have no family down there. And so, so the Brambles were, were kind of like family. And I spoke to Chuck in June about some things the AWT was going through. And I'd heard that he was having some throat problems and things. And um, I, I didn't realize that he was as sick as he was. And then when I got the news, Tom had called me, and I think I was past president of the AWT at the time, but Tom had called me and asked me to, to share it. And I don't know if you've, you've ever been put into a position to share that kind of news to folks, but it was, it was difficult. And so I'm, you know, I'm working, I'm, I'm servicing a cooling tower and, and you get a phone call and, and as hard as it was for Tom to make that phone call, it was, it was, it was hard for me to, to draft an email because I thought the first thing we need to do is contact the, the past presidents and then, and then share that with, with the group as well. And, uh, and, and we did that. And a couple of days later, we attended the memorial service. Actually, you went, you and I went together and, and we had some discussions on that trip. I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, from Atlanta, it was about a five hour ride. And so we got to, we got to talk. And that's when I really realized that without the AWT, I wouldn't have the friends that I have today. I wouldn't, you wouldn't be my friend. I, I have, we have nothing in common other than the industry, but really the AWT, because there's a lot of folks in the water treatment industry. I, I know they're there. I just don't know who they are. I don't know what they do, but the AWT brought us together. So got one of my best friends now because of the AWT and it's because People like Chuck and Jay and Brent Jell and Bruce Kedrick and, and, and Art Friedman, who's uh, no longer with us, that, that you know, really paved the road to where we are. So how can we honor those people? By leaving the industry in a better position tomorrow than it was today. And so why do we do what we do? We do it because we want to honor those who have come before us. Outstanding. I, I can't imagine that being said any better. Mark, a lot of people ask, how do you sell water treatment? And I've spoken a little bit about it on the show, but how do you, Mark Lewis, go after a new account and how do you bring that to actually making that new business? I am probably one of the worst salesmen uh, from a knock on door, not, not knock on doors. I knock on doors, but I sell with integrity. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to oversell. I'm not going to push, I'm not going to put people put in an uncomfortable position to where, oh, here's Mark again. I have fun and, and, and I have no problem in developing a relationship and saying, if your current vendor is taking care of you and you feel like you're, you're, you're paying what you believe to be a fair price, you need to stay with them. If you've got a relationship that you trust, you, you need to stay with that person. With the same mind, because I want the same to be said about me when people are trying to sell against me. Now, I know that's not always the case, but I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to promise things that I can't deliver, you know. Undersell over service. Give the customer more than what they expect. Surprise them. 
Yeah, you mentioned lying, and you know sometimes it is lying, but I think it's very easy to over exaggerate in this business because we understand so much more than the end user. The person that owns the equipment that we're servicing, they know they need water treatment, but they hardly know what water treatment is. And I find that more often than not, when some people go after business, they exploit that issue. I'll say this. Most productive day I've ever had was was I had a, a rep with us that was just... He was he was servicing accounts, and so it was time for him to 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 move and see if he wanted to play in the sales field or something. And and so he went with me, and we made three cold calls. And on that day, he got asked to do surveys that day, and ended up picking up the business. And I told him, I said, "This is not what you do." Now, and, and what I would say is, I'm going to advise you not to hope things move that fast. And the reason for that. Is, is by walking into an account, looking at it one time, writing up a proposal and things like that, you're going to miss things. You don't fully understand the system, even if it's something as simple as a cooling tower and a chiller and a closed loop. You, you've got to have a little history of the account. You've got to have a little history of the systems. Uh, what are the, the, are the closed loops tight? Are they, you know, what kind of um, makeup rates do they have? Um, what are the issues? If you're going to go in and solve problems, if you're going to go in and prepare a program better than what they have, you don't need to go in there and say, oh, they're feeding biocide three times a week. Program, feed biocides three times a week. They're feeding, you know, the inhibitor like this or they're blowing down from here. You don't assume that everything they're doing is the right way. Take your time and, and, and tell folks that, you know, you want to be their vendor, but there's no way you can learn their system quickly. You'd rather develop a relationship. You'd rather learn what's going on, learn why they're doing things, because the worst thing you want to do is to go in there and make a promise of changing something because it's the right way to do things, but learn their system won't let you do it that way. Great point. Earlier this week, I was looking at a new piece of business and in doing exactly what you just described, I was making the system talk to me and prove to me that it was hooked up in the right fashion. And I found that in the line of flow, we were putting product back in the system and then about a foot away, we were bleeding. So we were bleeding concentrated product right out of the system. It was a cooling tower. And I pointed that out to him. And the engineer stood back and he looked at me and he goes, it's been like that for 20 years. And you're the first person that ever pointed that out. We do a survey to look at how things are plumbed, what things are done, you know, how things are done, the condition of the system. And, you know, one of the things we talk about uh, in fundamental applications is, is God gave you five senses. Use them all. Touch things. Just because a temperature gauge says this and this, is there really that much of a difference? Use a temperature gun, shoot the difference. Look around, look in things. How are things installed? How are things operating? Listen, listen to pumps. And not only your chemical pumps, listen to the recirculating pumps. When you can tell a customer he's got a bearing going bad because you hear it moaning, they're in their plant every day. What becomes normal to them may be odd to you. Pressure gauges, if you've got a, a cooling tower sitting higher than a pump and you've got a negative pressure on your, your suction side of your pump, you've got a screen clogged. 
So when you can look and see what's going on, then you become one of them. And, and you know, as as AWT, as, as a committee member, as a board member, you're always told, take your company hat off and put your AWT hat on. Okay. When you walk into an account, take your company hat off and put your customer's hat on. And you've got to be an extension of their staff. And and the only way you can do that is if you know what you're looking for, what you're listening to, and, and know what's going on. Mark, I would definitely say that there's a lot of people out there that aren't using their powers of observation. But I also think there's a confidence level that maybe they don't have, and they're falsely putting that in the person that came before them. Well, the person before me was a 20-year veteran, so surely he had this system hooked up right. So I'm just going to assume that it's hooked up right. Do you think that's going on? How can that new guy tell that 20-year veteran that that they were doing something wrong? But I'll also say that sometimes you, you do what you know, and just because something is done like something in the past doesn't mean it, it's, there's not a better way to do it. And whether it's for years, people brought, bought product and they took the product and they mixed it in a 55 gallon drum and they filled it up full of water and they pumped that solution into the cooling system, into the boiler. And they were making, and now we, now we're, everyone feeds neat. Who was the guy that made that change from, Hey, let's make this dilution to let's feed neat. So, so things change. And NEAT is feeding directly out of the package. Feeding, yeah, directly out of your shipping container or out of a permanent place, dual containment system. As, as things change, systems change. Maybe that they were bleeding there only because that was the only port that was available. And so... Well, if you're talking about my case... No, they could have just swapped the two and it would have worked fine. So I don't know what that excuse was. How how many times do you make a recommendation and the customer doesn't follow it? So somebody goes in and they make this recommendation. Oh, you need to swap those two. Well, Michael, let me ask you. So that's a super easy fix. So why wouldn't the person who has the business, it was PVC. Why wouldn't they just make the fix themselves? Southeastern Laboratories, my company, says I can't do plumbing. Okay. Because if a PVC fitting comes unglued and floods the basement, because I glued it, I'm held accountable. So that company might not have been able to do work like that. Might not have been able to do that. Now, and and what I tell my customers, I'm more than willing to help you. You just assume responsibility for what I do. I will move it, but it's under your guidance and, and your responsibility, you know, and I'll use cleaner and I'll use glue and I'll let it set up and all this other stuff, but I can't be held accountable if something fails. So, you know, my company has gone the way that says we're not plumbers. We're not licensed to plumb. We're not insured to plumb and et cetera, et cetera. We're not going to assume that risk. So what has happened is, is the, is even your previous guy, the, the your 20 year veteran has said, uh, we need to change those around and the customer never did it. Okay. Mm. Well then my job is to take it one step further and say, you know, those are, those are switched. If we were to switch them, we're going to save some product. And, and so now what you've done is you've created an environment that, oh, there's some savings to be had. So, so now where it was just, oh, you need to do this. There's a reason for me to do it. So don't just make the recommendation, sell the recommendation. Anytime you give a recommendation and I don't care what it is, tell them, Tell them what the recommendation is and tell them why to make the recommendation. I tell my customers, if I tell you to do anything differently than you're doing today, ask me why. And if my explanation doesn't make sense, 
don't do it. So if I can't prove to you that you need to make that change, then don't do it. Mark, what is the best advice you can give our listeners to when they lose business? And I've got a piece of business right now that I've had is my very first piece of business for selling with Southeastern. And and I was told first of December that corporate has decided to to go with a corporate contract. So I've had this piece of business for 11 years now. And um, everyone loves me. However, corporate from the offices down the street, no one in, in the facility that I'm in, uh, they made a decision to change. So my, my deal, my comment with them was, I understand. What can I do to make this transition as smooth as possible? You know, I could have picked up my, my stuff and left and went away. But if I ever want the opportunity to get that piece of business back, I've got to go out with dignity. I've got to go out as a helper. I've got to go out as a problem solver. Now, could have been a piece of business that went away the 1st of December. I still have that business, and it's still de- it's, as February rolls around, I'll still have that business. Now, knowing that it's going away, I'm going to treat them as a customer until I'm no longer their vendor. And then they become a prospect. You're always going to go back and, and make sure they're being taken care of and they know I, you're I, there. They know I'm there. They know that for the last 11 years, they haven't had issues. They haven't had problems. And, and I do things. I don't just say, hey, you need to do this. I, I do what I can do to fix things so that when I leave, they're fixed. Other vendors haven't done that for them. Mark, that's one of the biggest issues that we have as a company. I would say 90% of the business we get is because somebody's called us in because there's a problem. And then we solve that problem. We have that piece of business for years and the customer forgets they ever had that problem. And now they go looking for price again. What advice would you give me and my company to not have to go through that? First, I need your billing address so that I can send you an invoice for consulting work. Fair enough. The, the, the one thing that, that you can always do, and, and, and whether it makes a difference or not, it depends upon your customer. We're built on relationships, and it is a matter of remembering where you were and remembering where you are. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You know, It's almost like servicing your AC unit at the house. You know, If, if you service it, Every quarter, it maintain or twice a year, it maintains the proper operating efficiency. If you don't service it, it drops off a little bit and a little bit, a little bit more. And people, what they don't realize is by maintaining an efficient system, you're going to pay less money. It's and no one looks at what they pay the power company. No one looks at what they pay the water company. Everybody looks at what they pay the water the vendor, because that's a monthly billing. You know, I see that every month. My electrical cost is what my electrical cost because it's hot outside. My water cost is because that's what we used. Everybody forgets that when that machine operates efficiently, it's going to be cheaper to operate. And when you look at the utilities budget, you know, when you look at what your power consumption is, what your water consumption is, and what your water treatment costs are, you know, something that runs 70% of your budget compared to 2% of your your budget, your electrical costs, your water costs versus one or two percent of your water treatment costs, you're going to save ten dollars here and risk spending thousands of dollars over here. So, you know, it's so it is a matter. It's, it's continued education. Remember where you are. And and even, you know, it's 
long term, they probably won't care. But you know what you've done for them. I will tell you, looking at some of the accounts that we've lost a while ago, we now have again because those problems kept back up. And I got to tell you, I love it when that happens. And I I took your advice. Uh, We left gracefully, made sure that they knew if they ever had any issues or any questions. We were just a phone call away. And sure enough, when their chiller wasn't able to get the load handled like it was going through before we came and it started doing that again, they gave us a call and we were able to fix it. Good deal. Well, Mark, I've got so many questions to ask you. I'm going to invite you back. We'll have you on another Scaling Up show, but I was hoping that I can ask you some lightning round questions. Okay. So, and as you know, these are similar questions that I ask all of my guests, and we get to play along to see how similar and how different that they are. So, if you could go back in time and talk to yourself on your first day as a water treater, what advice would you give yourself? Probably to remain humble. Are you able to do that? You know, believe it or not, it's, it's a struggle. <laughs> but but there, there's, in your, in your life, you have these ups and downs. And, and what you remember is when you're up, you're up, but someone else may be down. So, so when you're up, you're, the way that you speak, and, and believe it or not, you're talking very confidently, and you're probably talking other people down. Hmm. And so remain humble, remain appreciative, even if it's appreciative for the, uh, the opportunity to look at a piece of business, for the opportunity to learn something. So I guess that's what I'm going to say, is, to, is always remain who you are on the inside, not just what you are on the outside. All right, and pay attention to others around you. Absolutely. Mark, what are the last few books that you've read? Last few books. Um, um, probably it's How You Play the Game. It's a, it's, a, it's a book that my pastor, David Chadwick, wrote uh, about Dean Smith, Coach Dean Smith from the UNC Tar Heels. Um, and my pastor actually played for Dean Smith when he was in college. And so he, uh, he, he wrote a book and was asked to, to update it when, when Dean Smith passed away a few years ago. And we actually used those principles. And we have a, a small group that the men get together and, and we went through the book and discussed those principles and how they affect uh, us on a day-to-day basis. And then probably from that a book called Soul Keepers, um, and I forget the author, but, you know, one of the things I do is, is I'm always looking, who, who am I? I? I know who I am here and there, and, but why do I think this way? Why do, I, why do I do these things? You know, is it me? The book Soul Keepers is, is a book that, uh, as I read, and it's a self-help book. Uh, and then probably the last book is Facebook. Uh, I, I gain <laughs> a lot of knowledge, and, and most of it is, is laughter. You know, it, it's funny how we play. But even though you, you learn so much from, from what people do and then what people comment, what they complain about, what they rejoice about. And so, and I know Facebook really isn't a book, but I'm not, I'm, I'm more of an article reader, reader than I am a book reader. To sit down with a book and, and read it, that's not me. I will say that the, I tried audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Because we spend a lot of time in the car. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, that's why I listen to the podcast. It's not for anything else. It's just yeah, you know, nobody enjoys it. it they just have nothing else to it's, do. It's just a time killer. But uh, you know, in, in the book was I, I want to say it was called Night Flight. But I've looked it up since I gave my version away. It was like nine CD disc or something. It was a huge book. It was like twenty something hours. 
I found myself sitting in the car with it still running when I should be in service and accounts. But it was it was all about flight TWA 800 when it got shot down, crashed, whatever it did as leaving for New York. Um, and it went through the investigation of, of an individual who did all these things. And then at the very end of the book, uh, I won't spill the beans, but all these people were coming together when another event happened. And it's like, no, you can't end here. So um, to sit down and read, I couldn't do. But to listen, I love it. I love it. Um, so, But just one other thing. If, if anyone hasn't listened to uh, Randy Pausch's The Last Lecture, I would, I would recommend Googling it. In the last lecture, Randy Pausch uh, talks about uh, life, and it's a great book. I've used a lot of his quotes, and uh, so I've, I've actually read the book, but I, and I've also listened to the lecture. So, uh, Tim Fulton, who came on earlier, he, he, uh, through our Vistage group, he had us do an exercise where we had to write our last lecture. And that was a tremendous exercise. I think you did something like that when you were on the AWT board, didn't I you? Did, I did. I did. All right, Mark, last question. If you could have a conversation with anybody throughout history, who would it be with and why? You know, I've heard this question asked so many times during the lightning round. And, and you know, I've, I've got my jokes that I would always say, but probably I would write. Uh, I wanted to talk to some of the writers of the Constitution. A document that was written 225 years ago, 230 years ago. I can't do the math. 232 years ago at this point. With the insight that they had, knowing what the country needed, putting all that, those things together in one document. And to be amended uh, 26 times uh, from that, it, it's just amazing. So how do you think, what were you thinking? How did, how did these things come up to, to need to be addressed? Um, so understanding what they were going through and, and still is very applicable today. Folks, I got to tell you, it's lonely being a water treater. We spend a lot of time by ourselves servicing accounts and trying to figure out what's the best thing to do to make those accounts better. To have a friend in the industry that you can trust and one that challenges you to be better or just one that you can talk to and get more information on is invaluable in this industry. And Mark Lewis is that kind of friend to me. Since I met Mark, I've had a person that I could use as a sounding board to help me understand things, just role play on how am I going to explain something to a customer. I even talked to him about this podcast and I talked to him about some of the show topics that I'm thinking about doing and how they will be perceived in the water treatment industries. Uh, Mark and I have looked over each other's proposals for errors. It's just great to have somebody in the industry that you can trust and somebody that has your best interest in mind. So I hope all of you out there in the scaling up nation have somebody like that that is helping you become a better water treater. And if you don't, I hope that you are doing things, you are setting yourself up so you can meet people like that. As you know, the AWT was the catalyst that allowed Mark and I to meet. So I hope that you're involved in an organization like the AWT, if not the AWT. So that way you have every opportunity to meet people that understand what you are going through day 
today. Uh, speaking of the AWT, for those of you in the Scaling Up Nation that live around the Washington, D.C. area, the AWT STEM Task Force needs your help. And for those of you that don't know, STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. And the charge of the AWT STEM Task Force is to educate the water treatment sector to future water treaters. So who knows that there is actually a water treatment industry out there when they're in high school or even younger. So their job is to help promote that. So for those of you in the D.C. area, you might want to get involved with this opportunity. The AWT, via the STEM Task Force, is doing a demonstration setup. They are going to have a booth at the USA Science and Engineering Festival. This is taking place April 7th and 8th at the Walter E. Washington Center in Washington, D.C. So if you live near there, it might be a great excuse for you to bring your kids and show them all the really cool things that they have at this festival and maybe volunteer a little bit with the STEM Task Force. I am going to have information about the task force, what they are doing, and also the show. Last year, they had over 350,000 attendees with over 3,000 displays. And, and folks like Lockheed Martin are there and NASA, and they've got flight simulators and, and all that cool stuff. So if you've got kids and you're in that area, definitely bring them by. I think you'll enjoy it, and it will give you a great opportunity to work with the STEM Task Force. If you are interested in that, uh, go to my show notes page. I'll have some information for you. And if you want to contact AWT, please contact Sarah Wood at swood at awt.org. I also want to remind you that we have the AWT technical seminars coming up. You really don't want to miss that. As you know, it's the favorite thing that I do each and every year. I hope that I see multiple people out in the Scaling Up Nation in attendance there. I can't wait to meet you in person. You have two opportunities to do this. You've got Las Vegas, which is February 28th through March 4th. And then again in Cleveland, March 21st through March 25th. I really hope to see you there. And if you need some information about that, go to my show notes page. The direct link will be scalinguph2o.com forward slash TT 2018. That TT stands for Technical Training 2018. I can't think of any other thing that you can do in the water treatment industry that will help jumpstart your knowledge in this incredible career. I've been getting some great feedback on the pH meter segment that I did on show 30. For those of you that haven't listened to that, that's scaling up h2o.com forward slash 30. And the consensus is that most of us that have been having issues with our pH meters holding calibration, it wasn't a meter issue at all. It was an operator issue. We were not cleaning them. 
I've had numerous people said that they were not cleaning their meters the way they should. They didn't have a regular interval where they were calibrating their meters. So they weren't sure if they were in and out of calibration. And I had numerous people say that they weren't storing them correctly. I got to tell you, folks, I love it when you contact me and you say a bit of information that I gave you made you a better water treater. So I am so glad for that information. I'm also so glad that somebody wrote in that question. Actually, that show, there were several questions that all came together into that pH meter section. I wouldn't have been able to do that if you did not send in your question. So please continue to do that. As I've mentioned before, a rising tide lifts all boats. And thanks so much for those of you that are letting me know that this show is ushering in that tide that we're hoping that it will. I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode, and I look forward to speaking with you next time on Scaling Up.